0: We've now reached, um, in the chapters of our studies in Joshua, the actual capture of the promised land by the Israelites. This follows all the preparation, all of the waiting, and the surveying of the land prior to this point. The time has come to enter what is the promised land. The land that was indeed promised from uh, their forefathers, from Abraham and all the descendants, and the Lord has led them, by uh, Joshua, to the uh, edge of the uh, promised land, the River Jordan, and they are within almost touching distance of the land that's been described to them as that which is flowing with milk and with honey. What anticipation there must have been. You can imagine that sense of nervous excitement as they consider what's before them. All well, the chatter, the hum, the chinking of metal, all the final preparations are being made for this huge occasion. And we'll see in this passage, it's so well known, we, we all know uh, what happens in this passage, but isn't this such an unusual method that God uses to bring the Israelites into the land that he has promised and taken taking this from the hand of the Amorites. So let's look at this passage then, and the fall of Jericho, Briefly, um, with in the context of three three points, there's three points we can make. The first one is God's command. In verses 1 to 10, God's command. And the second point, God's victory. It's God's victory in verses 11 to 21. And the thirdly, God's salvation. In verses 22 to 27, we have God's salvation. So let's first consider then briefly the context of the passage. How do you feel about the conquest of Canaan? As a, as a believer, as a Christian believer tonight, how do you feel? Are you comfortable with the, the, of the this, the capture of Canaan? Or do you have difficulty with this, with the whole ethics and the morality of the situation? Here was God, he was sending his own people, the Israelites, into this land which is inhabited by the Amorites. And ethnically, to ethnically cleanse this, this people, um, slaughtering thousands and thousands of children, uh, men, women, and animals, is one of the great uh, moral problems that we encounter in the Old Testament. There's a one known Christian periodical that once published a cartoon. It depicted a high wall of the city Jericho, and in the foreground there were two military officers discussing the... Um, the the, the city, and one officer turned to the other and said, "What would Jesus do?" So it's hard; it's very hard for many Christians to reconcile this with the Lord Jesus, the loving Saviour of the New Testament, with and they put a wedge between that and the harsh and the, uh, the abrasive God of the of the Old Testament. So how do we answer this? Well, firstly, a really important point: God is God, and He does not need to be. Defended, doesn't need to be defended. Mm. The Old Testament uh, reveals that He's perfect in all His ways, and He's just. Mm. He's a moral God. He never acts inconsistently with His moral character. Mm. So whatever happens in the context of Cain, God is acting rightly, and it's in the justice and righteousness of God. And then secondly, it's worth considering this passage within the context the Old Testament's perspective on the conquest. In Genesis 15 and verse 16, we read, In the fourth generation they should return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is entering into a covenant relationship with Abraham and his descendants uh, for the land, but it's in God's patience that they do not enter the land immediately. In the Lord's Lord's long-suffering, his kindness, and his mercy, he allows the Amorites Amorites inhabitants of the land time to repent of their sins. He wouldn't just wipe them out completely. In his patience, he waits for them to repent of their sinful ways. In fact, he waits 400 years in his mercy and grace. However, finally, God's patience will run out, and his righteous judgment descends on that land of the the Amorites. And let's not also forget the Amorites were are wicked people, who are guilty of some of the worst sins, sexual sins, pagan practices, black magic occult, even to the extent of sacrificing their babies to pagan god, my lord so it's because of these crimes, and because they rebelled and they persisted in them from generation to generation, that God's patience finally ran out. I think this is a warning to, to our nation, We and why we must continue to pray for our nation, Um, We've seen over decades a steady moral decline in our society, and uh, pray that God will overrule and reserve judgment on a nation and society that that is losing its way uh, morally, just as with the the Amorites. So let's come on into the detail of the passage a bit further, and we'll look at um, the first and God's command, verses 1, 1 to 10. Have you seen God work um, in providence in your life in the most unusual of ways? He can sometimes use ways and means that would seem peculiar to us. Marching around the walled city seven times, blowing a trumpet shouting, is that going to do anything at all? However, look how God has used David with a few few, stones in the sling against Goliath, And how he used Samson and that jawbone against the whole army. All these things may seem trivial and small items, but they brought down a whole, uh, whole army. The more comfort that we can draw, each one of us, on this tonight. we have difficulties, challenges, right now, how wonderful we have a God who is in control of the very of the bigger picture. But more than that, we have a God that is a God of the impossible. You can only have to look at this walled city so strong, it's securely shut up and fortified. And yet, was that too impenetrable for God to bring that down? No, of course it wasn't. God is able to was able to destroy the city. And whatever we do, however small, perhaps that trap you give to someone, brief conversation, a text, the WhatsApp message, the daily prayer, these seemingly small and trivial things, just as the Israelites walking around that city, blowing those Ram's shouting. The Lord can use these small things to achieve great things in His will and His purpose. Let's be encouraged with that tonight. Roger Ellsworth, he says, God delights in using strange methods to achieve great things. So, although the strategy for this battle seemed odd, perhaps, perhaps nonsense to us, it's striking that, that also we don't see any questioning or any complaining from the people. Israelites. Joshua and his people are obedient to what God has said to them and told them to do. The generation have learned from the grumblings and the unbelieving times in the wilderness that had preceded them. Their obedience was due to their faith in God's word that God would bring about what he said he was going to do. And how much we need to have that same faith in God's word too. So much that we, we just don't know remember at the, uh, my graduation ceremony, the Dean saying in his uh, spirit at the end, um, you've now entered the journey of lifelong learning. I thought after three years of study, i learned everything. <laughs> but uh, I mean, isn't that true about, about the Bible? And when we become a Christian, or perhaps even before, we start out on a lifelong journey of learning about this amazing, this wonderful book. There's so much that we don't understand, or so much there is still to learn about this wonderful book. In the Bible class, just on Sunday, we're learning about the, the atonement. I'm glad <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, that's over. <laughs> right, uh, if there's anyone here, I think it's been said before. If anyone's here that can fully understand the atonement, um, I'd like to shake their hand afterwards. It, it's um, how can we fully know? How can we fully grasp in our finite minds? the love of the Father who sent his only son to die in our place for us, sin It's just mind-blowing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. And it's by faith that we, we believe these things. Faith. Just as Rahab had faith in believing. As with the Israelites marching around the city in Je- of Jericho. Faith in believing that God tells us uh, what God tells us, even though we don't fully understand everything that he does tell us what's written in his word. It's by faith that we believe these things. Um, Peter Jeffrey writes, Faith is not an irresponsible step into the unknown, but a reasonable obedience to the will and word of a sovereign, almighty God. So let's um, move to our next point, God's victory. There's a strangeness we see in God's method in bringing about this victory. Seven priests ram roundswarms, the Ark, rear garden such as the caravan encircled uh, Jericho each time, each day, and the seven times that they encircled uh, Jericho on the seventh day. However, notice in these verses, as um, I hope you noticed, you've read how the Ark of the Covenant has centre stage. The chapters refer to the Ark actually ten times. This chapter ten times. It's God's presence here that will make a difference in what they are doing. We read in the first commandment, that we really should have no other gods before me. The centrality of God in, the, in this passage. Notice how he says, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given, as God has given, Jericho into your hand. If Israel only marches and shouts, it's no doubt about who batters Jericho to the ground. Delgraf Davis books are much better than I can. Since we have a tendency to obscure God's splendour and steal his praise, he sometimes sets our contributions aside so that we and others can perceive that the overwhelming power comes from God, not us. It's clear that this victory belongs to the Lord. So often in our own small successes or victories, perhaps in our evangelism, our personal lives or our work, we can so easily attribute them to our own abilities rather than to God and what he has done for us through his providence however as we see here it's the Lord that has the victory over the battle of Jericho and he too has our lives in his hands and He is shaping and he's moulding us nothing happens by luck or just by chance it's only because it has been permitted by our Lord and of course that reminds us of the ultimate victory that the Lord Jesus Christ has over sin and over death. He has a victory. His words were, it is finished. That battle was won there on that cross. It was all accomplished there. Calvary. Praise praise the Lord for this. And that takes us on to our our final point, God's salvation. Look at the way this this section at the end is constructed. The Lord's instructions, verse 5, to Joshua's command in verse 10. And after reading verse 10 to <coughs> verse 16, it's a shout for the Lord has given you the city. You'd then expect, wouldn't you, in the light of that, the natural sequence for, for verse 20 to read and be followed. After the command to shout, you'd expect, for Joshua, you'd expect the people to shout. So the people shouted for the priest who the come in verse 20. But... Um, In fact, we have an interlude there from verse 17 to 20. And the writer is using a delayed climax here by including Joshua's instructions and obeying the commands afterwards Um, because what he's saying in between is more important than the actual Jericho's walls falling down. What he's saying is actually more important in verse 20 than actually the walls falling down. If we were to make a movie of this passage of Joshua 6, you'd shoot an extensive action scene, wouldn't you? Soldiers running around, an assault of the city, combat scenes and so on, all descending. Our writer has no such interest, nor does he care about the bravado of Israelite warriors. He gives only a brief mention, almost almost matter-of-fact report of the triumph itself. And that's, clue, that's the clue that the concern lies elsewhere. In between, the notice of Jericho's destruction is a story of salvation and of rescue. Rahab and her loved ones are salvaged from the destruction and begin a life of um, association with God's people. As had been promised, she was kept safe in the destruction of the city. Rahab so feared Yahweh's threat that she fled to his mercy, she has now received that mercy. The pagan Gentile and her family now stand within the circle of the chosen people. Why then should we be surprised if her God should take, uh, take one day those that are far off and bring them to, to, to him by the blood of the Saviour? What hope there is today for the Gospel shared week by week, those that are going to, going to be called by his grace from all walks of life. We at Belvedere serve as that beacon of light on directing others to Christ. And further to this, this passage reminds us that God is about uh, it can bring the salvation of sinners in the most unlikely of ways. There's no obstacles that are too large and how that should cheer our hearts as the Gospels preached. Sinners' hearts can sometimes seem like a fortress a fortress of Jericho at times, fortified against the gospel. The people have put their own barriers up against God and against the gospel. and But these walls can fall from the message of Joshua 6, can they fall emphatically yes? If we are to be true to God's word, we must preach the truth that's been revealed in His Word. And many churches that use many methods that aren't appointed by God. God has appointed the foolishness of preaching to bring about the salvation of of souls. We must join with the apostle and say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's Romans 1 verse 16. So let's um, bring this um, to, to a summary, a conclusion. As we bring this to a close, we've looked at how God has been patient. He's been a patient God. He's long-suffering and kind before his judgment and his justice were poured out upon the Amorite people. The Lord has kept his promises, as he did with the Israelites. He's promised this land And that was uh, to to be fulfilled. Then we saw how Joshua and the people were obedient to God's commands. However unusual this seemed, trusting by faith in his promises. And that God uh, has the victory, the ultimate victory over sin and death. And we must be careful to give God all the glory and all the praise. lastly, salvation has come to Jericho to raise up and all her family. They've been preserved, not just physically here, but uh, spiritually, kept safe, and now they dwell in the household of faith. What encouragement we have for the gospel, even as men and women's hearts may seem like the walls of Jericho Mm -hmm. at times. The Lord can and does bring sinners to repentance and uh, faith. Mm -hmm. Praise God.